propaganda as an art, sabotage as a business against a machine. It's like creating free space so people can do their thing. It's challenging authority. You know, if the cops come, the cops come. Hey, so today I want to talk about something that is being talked about everywhere. You know, it's everywhere on social media. It's on the news. People just seem to really be uh, really passionate about the way that they feel about this this topic. And the topic is about Trump getting kicked off of Twitter. So I want to kind of like examine that and explain what I believe right now and my interpretation of Trump getting booted off Twitter. Uh, and once again, like I am not too connected to it. I'm always open to more information. It could change. But currently, this is how I see this is how I see the situation. Um, and there's some things that we're going to kind of like explore here. So I see there being basically two issues here. So Donald Trump gets his ass kicked off Twitter. What's that about? Um, well, for years and year for years he's used his presidential twitter account remember it says president of the united states on a day trump you know it was it was a title um that was connected to his account basically so this guy uses twitter for 4 years to continually say inflammatory stuff to personally attack people to say racist and post stupid racist, you know, misleading infographics. I mean, you know, he used Twitter like he derived his power through being to circumnavigate the media spectacle through Twitter and comment on it and just pity himself and act like everything was, you know, against him. And, you know, it was pathetic. So basically his Twitter account was tied in with being the president of the United States. So I've established that. So the way that I see it is I don't see a problem with Donald Trump getting his Twitter, you know, booted off of Instagram specifically because it was a presidential Twitter account. So it was connected to his job, his terms of employment. So we all know that when we when we get hired, there are certain things that we can and can't do, you know, within the scope of our employment, whether whether that is something that is inferred, you know, like when you get a job, if you get a job, say like at a hotel, you, you can't just when you're checking guests in, just be like, oh, yeah, Marriott sucks. You know, if you work for Marriott, like you're going to get fired when you sign a contract or when you sign on to work the job or the agreement, you know, it's it may or may not say specifically like, hey, don't say stuff that is bad about the business to the client. That's just kind of, you know, it's kind of inferred. Um, it's kind of expected. So I don't know what the president does paperwork wise when he becomes the president. I know he swears on the Bible and it's, you know, a little media spectacle and everything. But, you know, I, I'm sure there's paperwork, which I don't know if he fills out or if he has his aides fill out or whatever. Um, but there's probably never been a stipulation or clause in there that says like, hey, the president of the United States should not say a bunch of stupid inflammatory stuff, antagonize people, attack people continually complain at one point possibly leak um leak 
you know, state secrets or something, classified information. I mean, um, I'm pretty sure at one point, yeah, there was like a thing like, oh shit, did he just leak classified information? Um, but basically, this is what he did with it. And so you could argue, well, it wasn't in the contract that he signed and everything. But once again, like, it is inferred that with a job, you are trading off why you were in that role certain freedoms. So, for example, like if I have a job and I decide to go outside and say I smoke cigarettes and I just want to go outside and smoke a cigarette, yeah, I have free will to do that. But it's probably going to get me fired if it's not during a, an official break or unless I take a break. Okay. So, so we understand that when we work, unfortunately, in this country, because everything is so hierarchical and we have this just capitalist pyramid scheme of just a uh, government and corporate corporations infiltrating it there's no there's no democracy in the workplace that's a problem that's a whole different episode that's a whole different thing that we can talk about but it exists and it sucks and we absolutely need to change that in this country the united states um so anyway back to the you know you you understand that you have to trade certain things off within the scope of employment so I was a roadie, like I would go out with bands and I would do the big video systems that you see at concerts, the LED screens. I would be on, you know, the stage shooting handheld camera, my favorite things to do in the world. Or, you know, I'd be live directing the show. Um, when I go out with these artists, you know, I get a call and it's like, there's, there's a company. So the way that it works is there's the, you know, pretty much entertainment industry is, is all like this, you know, whether it's movies or film, or whatever, um, there's production, which works with the artist, uh, and they have, you know, their, ma their managers and all of that hire the production manager and the tour manager. And then they look for companies to provide lighting, audio, sound, video, those type of things, pyro. And there's, you know, there's a, there's a couple, there's a handful of companies that are called vendors basically that provide those services. Those companies then hit up freelancers and say, hey, you want to go on this gig? You want to go on this tour and do X, Y, Z? And, you know, I'm like, yes, no, I pick and choose. Like, that's my free will when, you know, everything was 1099 um, as a freelancer. I've been injured for the past year and a half. I know that the industry right now doesn't exist because of Corona, which is a huge problem. Um, and it's very, very challenging for all of the thousands and thousands of individuals in the entertainment industry, uh, particularly touring and music that, you know, we've worked for years and years to develop these like super highly technical skills and have risen to high levels within that industry. But those, those skills only, they don't translate elsewhere. You know, it's like you're a surgeon, but if surgeries can't happen anymore because something happens, whatever, you know, yeah, what are you going to do? Like you can't like those highly technical surgical skills don't really transfer elsewhere. So, you know, you might be, you know, you might be the lighting director of Metallica or something or, you know, the front of house engineer for any any XYZ big artist. And then it's like now the industry doesn't exist you've had a life built around this and a certain income and everything. And now that's all gone. What do you do? You're, you're literally kind of back to square one. And I'm kind of going a tangent, which I didn't really mean to. Um, but I just wanted to, you know, shout out all my fellow entertainment industry, um, live event technicians. Um, the struggle is real and I feel for you. Um, so back to how it works. So I get a call 
hey, you want to go do this tour? You want to do that? And I, you know, I consider it. I look at how many shows are in a row. Like, are there one-offs, two-offs, three-offs? Is it like four days on, one day off? Like, how how many weeks am I going to be out? You know, a bunch of different factors I take into consider gear into consideration, and then I negotiate a rate on behalf like through the company that is offering me the gig. And then if I agree to that rate, then I am agreeing to sell my labor for that. I go out on the tour. I do the tour. I get a weekly a weekly rate. Um, believe it or not, there's usually not a lot of paperwork that I have to sign to go on the tour. It's kind of a mutual understanding. Like keep in mind, like the whole, you know, the whole touring entertainment industry type thing. Like it's, it's not really what, you know, it's depicted like it was, I guess in the eighties with the hair metal and everything. Ain't a lot of stuff happening backstage. Like it is, it is, there's nothing going on. There's a bunch of tired roadies ready to work or working. There's catering and there's a production office. And then there are just some dressing rooms and stuff like there's not, you know, it's not really, it's not really that awesome or that cool. You know, getting on a tour bus would be cooler for somebody that that's never been on that than actually like going backstage. Um, anyway, you know, I, I'm talking a lot about this, um, just because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about it because the struggle is real for so many people. I was seriously injured. I'm still recovering. I have health situations that need more surgery, which have been complicated with the coronavirus and, and a bunch of things. I've been very fortunate to be on a workers' compensation um, program or, th- um, you know, I'm being kept afloat through workers' comp. Um, so in a way, getting seriously injured and struggling with this for years, the past year and a half, um, has kind of shielded me from Corona. Um, so for that, I'm very grateful. Um, but anyway, so like I get offered to go out on this gig, I go out on this gig, I do the shows. Um, and it's, it's just, once again, like the industry, you know, the way that it's depicted of like roadies partying and all the wild stuff. Like, yeah, it was that like all the old roadies, you know, talk about back in the eighties and stuff and how cool and wild it was and how it sucks now because, you know, XYZ live nation bought everything. The whole, the entire industry is corporatized and owned by certain companies. It's not, you know, certain radio stations and, and just like, um, venues and all of that type of stuff. Like just trying to get you to come in to do your tour, bring your band, you know, party. That's thing. it's nothing like that anymore. You know, it's like live nation, AEG, like they, like they own the majority of the venues and everything. So, um, it's, you know, it's pretty mellow for the most part. Um, yeah, we have a lot of fun and there's a lot of like cool stuff that happens. And I guess like it's normalized a lot to me, um, that lifestyle and everything. So maybe a lot of people would be like, Oh yeah, well, um, but you know, I, I kind of, it becomes normal, you know, the crazy, the wild, whatever, if you experience it so much, like, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it is what it is in its life. You become desensitized to it. Not that being on tour or anything is like at all what it's depicted um, in the media and everything. Uh, nevertheless, like, you know, I end up living on a bus with people that I've never met. So, you know, to work in that industry to tour, you got to be chill. Like you got to be down to just meet a bunch of people, have no idea who they are and have them not know you and then form a friendship or connection or mutual understanding to just give each other space if you don't get along. Um, Because you're living for a very long amount of time on a tour bus and, you know, you're in close quarters, it's tight quarters. Like it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. I'll leave it at that. Um, but you know, there's certain rules. Like you don't take a shit on the tour bus. You know, there's certain rules that you know you don't sign a contract or anything. You just you know it's the rules of the road. Like you don't do certain things. 
you know, like you don't leave your stuff all over the bus because there's very limited space. And when you leave stuff, your stuff out, then that's taking up other people's very limited space for them to be in and use. So that's, you know, you don't do it. Like there's a bunch of like rules of the road. Um, and, and so, um, that being said, none of them are contractually agreed upon. It's just like, that's how it works. That's how we work as people. And that's how we work to maintain harmony. So I've heard of stories about an individual that was on a tour and he, you know, he had a problem, like he drank heavy or something. And he started talking a lot of shit about the artist and everything. And word got around, like word spreads quickly. You're, you're living with a bunch of people in a very tight kind of traveling work community environment and when you say stuff like it gets around your behaviors your actions it gets around it gets talked about um so you know you always just want to be a solid person you want to be legit you want to keep it real with people and you want to be understanding but at the same time you know there's a level of professionalism you need to uphold and maintain but it's also your work is your life like there's no separation life is work work is life so you know, you live your life as a person, you know, you integrate just your way of being when you're not working kind of into that lifestyle and experience that when you can on days off or, you know, um, once loading's done and you have time during the day. But anyway, this dude was talking a lot of shit about the artist, which I won't mention. And it became a big problem. Like the artist found out about it and everything and they fired him and he got wasted. And apparently like he actually approached the artist and said all this stuff. I think he like, he gave her the finger or something like it was a bit, it was a big thing and he got fired of course. So, you know, he didn't sign a contract saying, hey, dude, when you're out on tour with this pop star, like, don't talk shit on her and don't don't go give her the finger and stuff. But it was mutually understood that for the harmony of the tour and to represent the company, the vendor that was providing video that he was doing the gig for, like, you have a standard of integrity to uphold. And if you don't do that, you're going to get fired you know, people get fired from tours. Like it happens all the time. Like sometimes you just don't vibe. You don't like the people, the music, maybe it's a sober tour and you don't, you know, you want to drink on the bus. Like there's a, a million different reasons, you know, um, sometimes the gig's hard or, you know, stuff happens, gear fails, technology fails, and you just get axed. So then replaced, but then, you know, you get sent out somewhere else usually. Um, so that happens. Um, you know, I've been fired before, on a tour and whatnot. And it really sucked, but you know, it's like, then I end up on another tour and I'm way happier there anyway. Um, so if I go out on a gig, like I, I went on a tour with a British pop star and like, if I went out on that gig and I was talking shit on them the entire time, saying all this messed up stuff about them, tweeting about like, Hey, this person, like fuck them. And you know, all this, all this stuff, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired because my actions are not upholding the integrity of what is assumed my conduct will be on that tour that I am hired for. And I represent, I represent as a professional, the integrity of the company that got the contract to provide the lighting, the video, you know, the audio, that type of thing. And they're going to ask me, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a plane ticket home. Like that's how it works. 
Okay. Now, if I didn't take a tour, if I get offered that same tour and I'm like, now I want to pass on it or something, um, you know, I could talk all the shit I want on that artist. You know, if I want to tweet about how much I hate them or something like, yeah, like there's probably gonna be some people that I know that are gonna be like, Hey, I was on that tour. Like they're chill. Like, you know, don't hate on them or something like some, some roadies or something. Cause everybody has worked, you know, with everybody. Um, so, you know, there wouldn't be any repercussions. I, I would be able to act, uh, exercise my free speech in any way that I want. Okay. Um, sorry, I had to take a sip of tea. Um, so Donald fucking Trump, he assumes the role of president, you know? Yeah, it's president. It's a job. It's literally a job, just like being a Senator and all this stuff. No glorification aside from all that mystique and mythology and all that bullshit. It's a job. He has duties, he has roles, he has to play. And because he represents America, which we, you know, he works for us, there is a special, there is, there is an expectation that he uphold a standard of conduct in alignment with how we want and are to, as we as Americans want to be represented in the world stage. I mean, it's, it's no lie. The dude has made a laughing stock, you know, you know, has made a laughing stock of this country. You know, he is a symptom of capitalism and decay. Like the problem with the Democrats and liberals is they don't realize that this, this is a Donald Trump is a symptom. He's not an aberration. This is going to continue to increase and more and more people like him are going to come into power and stuff unless we address capitalism. Um, but not to digress. Anyway, Trump president. Yeah. You represent the United States and the American people. You have a role to play. You need to uphold, you need to uphold a certain integrity with your conduct. Dude doesn't. Like he didn't at all. And, you know, he he made he really showed the world a, you know a, a picture of what a lot of people envision America. You know, it's like, yeah, this dude embodies the very worst ver you know, the very worst qualities of America, the stereotypes of what Americans are. He embodies all of that, okay? Dude uses Twitter to continually just just be an asshole. Like literally be a whiny little asshole, always complaining and 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 moping and just talking shit. It's it's pathetic. It's literally pathetic. As an adult, you you just you just accept it and move on. And he he couldn't do that. He's literally a, a man child. So anyway, you know, the whole Capitol Hill thing happens, which I did a podcast that's out there. I think it's episode six with my friend, Brian Ganella, a show, uh, a fan of the podcast. Um, and you know, we covered that and we recorded that literally on the day that it happened. Um, I didn't get it out on that day cause there was a lot of work that went into it because it was the first video and everything. Um, but you know, that's an interpreta interpretation based upon what we knew at that time. So Take a look at it if you're interested. I'm going to kind of gloss, skip over that. But basically what happened, as we all know, because this is the story of the year so far, a bunch of Trump loyalists gathered for a, it was called Stop the Steal protest, you know, out, you know, in Washington, D.C. The Trump campaign and everything, they've, they had been involved in planning this and organizing that, you know, there is, you know, they are intertwined significantly, the Trump administration and this event. Um, the Republicans that have just, you know, sided with Trump have been pushing endlessly this fictitious completely fabricated and fictitious narrative that the election was somehow stolen, which of course we know it wasn't. 
it's not surprising that a president who's, you know, approval rating typically hovered around 30% or less or really low, it's not surprising he lost an election. Like he didn't lose an election. Basically, what he's trying to do is so enough upheaval and so enough discontent and totally disrupt the spectacle and the system in his benefit to maintain power. He derives power specifically from having the camera lens on him or the phone in his hand where he can tweet. That is his power. Twitter, social media allows him to subvert the dominant cultural paradigm that is created and constructed through the news media and, and you know, uh, corporate corporate news media and and all of that um so basically it's like a fire and the way you put it out is you cut the oxygen so he understands he's leaving office he he needs to keep cameras on him so he's all about spectacle first podcast i did was talking about his whole mount rushmore thing that was literally just like you know it was a spectacle in, in alignment with, you know, basically like the torch rallies of Nazi Germany and stuff. I'm not saying he's a Nazi. He's not. A problem with people is they assume the word fascist means Nazi. And so when you call Trump a fascist, they're like, well, he's not a Nazi. Yeah, he's not a Nazi. But Mussolini was a Nazi. Like fascism takes different, it looks different. We talk about that in, in an early episode. So take it, you know, listen to that um, if, if you haven't so far. Nevertheless, Donald Trump, he's bad for America. He's bad for the world. He's he's getting kicked out of office. He knows it. So he needs to disrupt it as much as possible so he can continue to be the center of attention. He gets cut off Twitter and he loses his power. And he can't create an alternative paradigm or reality anymore for his followers. So he doesn't have that ability anymore. He can only communicate directly through, you know, the fake news. All news is fake. It's literally corporate narratives, you know, neoliberal narratives being constructed and disseminated through their channels, be it, you know, NBC or Fox News. Like, yeah, like all news media is fake because it's 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 business and profit based and it's owned by corporations that have certain views and and things. They're not going to report, you know, there, we're never going to get them to promote leftist stuff or leftist theory or anything like that because that challenges their profit because we want to stop that type of thing, okay? But th- these movements and these beliefs exist, you know? This show exists. Like, there's a lot of us that oppose that, but we're not, you know, we're not on the local news talking about it, talking about, like, hey, this is why capitalism's bad. You understand that, like... I. You, you understand what I'm getting at here. So anyway, he doesn't have the power anymore to construct alternative realities. So I'm cool with that because he violated just the, the implied standards of what it was to be a president of the United States. He kind of violated, you know, the oath of office, even though it wasn't like part of the oath, like, hey, don't say mean stuff and antagonize and, you know, uh, antagonize a riot on Twitter. Um, it's kind of implied. The president of the United States, you represent this country, behave yourself, you know, act decently. <laughs> you literally are going to, you work for the people technically. Of course, the president doesn't, given the structure and the system that we have. But the idea is he works for the people. So, like, represent the people um, in a fair way. He didn't do that. So he lost his Twitter. 
which was a presidential Twitter account. So I don't see a problem there. Once again, you go up to your boss, you should be able to criticize your boss. You know, if we had democracy in the workplace and we didn't have like a hierarchical form, if we move more to cooperatives, which we should, which I advocate for, you could do that. But in the reality of the system we live in, you go up to your boss and say, hey, boss, you're an asshole and you're a piece of shit. You're going to get fired and that's it. And you could go on Fox News like, oh, Ariel Pink, most pathetic, sad thing I've ever seen. This dude literally is like, uh, I've just never seen somebody somebody feeling so sorry for themselves on TV. It's, it's yeah, I, I don't know how somebody literally so dumb can't, could <laughs> just watch it for yourself. Uh, Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Ar- Ariel Pink. It's, it's so funny. Um, on a side note, like I kind of feel like maybe I want to just create a hoax, like um, just scam Fox News, say that I got canceled somehow, get on the show, and then just totally, <laughs> it just be just one, one big, you know, gag that we play on Fox News or something. Um, that could be fun. Subvert the spectacle, which I'm all about. Um, but anyway, yeah, Ariel Pink, he's a dumbass. He goes on Tucker Carlson and he whines about, you know, him getting dropped from his record label and everything because he was in, you know, at the Trump thing and his record label didn't like that. So this is where the Republicans, it's like they won it both ways. For years and years and years and years, they were about deregulation, deregulate, deregulate, deregulate. That is the fundamental, you know, that's a fundamental trait of neoliberalism. Get rid of government, get rid of regulation, let the markets decide, let the homeostasis of the markets be achieved through open and free markets. The government comes in and messes up the homeostasis and all that, get rid of the government. Okay, that's the belief. And that's why, you know, we have such big monopolies now, you know, Time Warner and all this stuff like, you know, Facebook and Google own like everything. Okay, we've literally reverted back to the Gilded Ages prior to the New Deal, which led to the Great Depression. And strangely enough, who would have thought we're about to have another Great Depression? This is what happens. Like we didn't, you know, the whole, I, I literally despise cliches and the whole like, oh, you have to, you have to learn history so you won't be doomed to repeat it. Yeah, yeah fuck you. I hate that. Literally, that is the dumbest thing ever. Like, nobody learns from history. The same shit happens. Time is not linear. Time is circular. And these these things and these behaviors continually manifest. And learning history doesn't, doesn't change, you know, really affect the future. It's just a nice idea. It's a nice idea to think that if you study history, things won't happen the same way. But they do. Because a lot of things that happen arise from individual desires that manifest in society and motives within individuals and all these things. And it creates certain inescapable issues and outcomes, you know, greed. If greed in a society is continually championed and individualism, you're going to have a capitalistic hierarchical society that inevitably will work to colonize and exploit other countries for their resources, because that's how it works. That's the system. Okay, if you have a communist society that champ champions, you know, community and um, doesn't value autonomy, but it champions community and uh, thing and things like that and cooperation, then you know, if it's totalitarian, you're going to have a lot of issues with repression and and that type of stuff within the state. I'm not saying you know communist states or you know, I'm not. I don't even get into that right now. Um, let's just say, you know. I, you know, I, I, I don't like 
tankies that are unwilling to get dialectical on the success of communist parties and their failures and honestly admit them, um, you know, in states that existed. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just totally just digressing. Um, anyway, so back to what I was saying in regard to um, the the issue with the free speech. So what's going on is a lot of people are saying Donald Trump getting booted from Twitter is a violation of free speech and it's a slippery slope. Okay. Like I said, I see two different aspects to it. Donald Trump getting booted off Twitter, totally fine by me, not an assault of free speech because it was a violation of the unspoken contract of his conduct with a presidential Twitter account and misusing it. So yeah, you're off. Who cares? Um, Jack Dorsey, apparently the dude that owns the CEO of Twitter. I don't really know much about him. He's a billionaire. Obviously, I love billionaires. Yeah, that's sarcasm. Nevertheless, um, apparently Jack Dorsey even like, you know, he did it, but he acknowledged like, hey, this is a problem or something, um, which, you know, well played for a CEO. At least you acknowledge that like there's something wrong here. Okay, I think Angela Mer Angela Merkel Angela Merkel, sorry, um, in Germany, you know, was, was talking about it and making a big deal of it. But I mean, here's the deal: this is all expected. The problem, and I I doubt I don't know anything about Jack Dorsey really. I don't know if this is what he's getting at. But the problem that I see is after decades and decades and decades of deregulation, we have we've returned to you know the era of monopolies and magnates and all of that stuff. You know, I grew up in the Rust Belt. Like we had the Carnegie's, the Frick's, the Mellon's, all that type of stuff that literally were just the titans of industry. We got titans of industry again. You know, we got Jack Dorsey, Elon fucking Musk and all these other billionaires. Um, and, and once again, a billionaire, it's every billionaire is literally just a failure of American, of American policy in regards to economics and the transfer of wealth, but it's to be expected. We deregulated, deregulated. And of course we know what happens. The money goes upwards. It's siphoned upwards, literally a capitalist, like capitalism is a pyramid scheme. So, um, it's not surprising now that these companies, Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all, you know, I think Facebook's owned by, or I'm sorry, Twitter's owned by Facebook. So I could be wrong. I don't know. I haven't gone on Twitter. I'm trying to get on Twitter. Everybody wants the page of stuff on Twitter. They're like, that's actually the place for it. And I, I'm sure it is. I just, I really just, you know, I got to sit down one day and, and actually start, start playing the game. Um, but anyway, these companies now are bigger and wealthier than a lot of countries in the world and, and possibly more powerful. You know, they, they are larger and more powerful than parts of the United States government in the government's ability to rein them in or control them. And, you know, we, we've seen this over the past few years, you know, Zuckerberg sitting there, whatever, talking to Congress about, you know, X, Y, Z and that type of thing. Like the government doesn't know what to do because the government has had such a laissez-faire hands-off approach for the past 40 years since Reagan, uh, that, now it's just like trying to put pieces of the puzzle back together. Like, uh, what, what do we do? And honestly, a lot of people don't know what to do. If you want to know, like how, like I, we should break up big tech. Absolutely. No company and no CEO or anything should be more powerful and wealthy than, you know, the United States government or, you know, that, you know, that inequality is vast inequality. Um, 
but I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. But I think that Twitter and all of these things should start moving towards being nationalized. And, you know, I'm not going to say that isn't going to create problems. Maybe you, you've studied this. Maybe you have a lot of ideas. Let me know. Like, I'm interested. Like, I don't know what the solution is. And I'm very open and honest about that. But I think that in a society, if we are to survive and move towards more of an equal and fair society, implementing socialist ideals and principles, you know, but still allowing some sort of, you know, free market entrepreneurship and everything, um, if you get so big, if you create something like Amazon, for example, yeah, Amazon's a store. It started out as like selling books and everything. But what Amazon is now, what's so powerful about Amazon, obviously the whole transfer of wealth has even just empowered Amazon even more with everything having been closed during the safer at home orders and everything um, earlier this spring. Like, yeah, small businesses are crushed. But Amazon is a distribution network. It's a logistics company. It moves stuff. It moves stuff from warehouse to warehouse and from warehouse to your front door. They've literally created a privatized alternative currently to the United States Postal System and Postal Service. It's no surprise the Republicans are really, aside from the whole voter fraud thing, you know, they they don't want government. Neoliberalism is get rid of government services because you should open up and make available free markets and competition to provide alternatives. Anything the government does, another company can come in there and do a lot better. It's neoliberalism. Nevertheless, um, the problem with Amazon now is that they are so big and powerful and so many of us are reliant on buying stuff from them, even though they're reprehensible in a lot of their business practices and their anti-union and everything. Um, that we don't have an alternative. So it's time to nationalize it. When something, when a company becomes so big that it literally becomes just a word in the vocabulary, like, oh, order from Amazon or Amazon that or something like that, where all of us use it, most of us use it. If you don't use Amazon, that's awesome. That's cool. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to admit I use Amazon. I try to buy from sellers instead of Amazon, you know, the warehouse and everything. I try to just buy from people who have, you know, products on there. Um, yeah, it sucks. I'm outing myself, but I'm vehemently opposed to the business practices of Amazon. You know, there's this whole thing in America where it's they, you know, they, they put the guilt on the consumer and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the world's polluted. So don't use plastic straws. And if you use plastic straws as a consumer, you know, you're causing you're causing sea turtles to get, you know, fucking straws up their nose and that type of thing. But the reality is is the pressure and the guilt should be on behalf of the corporation. The government should say, hey, you're not allowed to create plastic straws anymore because they're screwing up the environment. But you create them and then you sell them. It's like the same thing with drugs. You know, it's like, you know, I, I have very um, drug war, absolutely end it. All drug addiction is mental health issues. Decriminalize everything make legal drugs available for people who, who are addicted or have problems so you can make contact with them, get them in, get them services, not give them just a bunch of, of, of just dope with fentanyl in it, you know? So I have those views on that. But it's like, you know, cops in the drug war going and busting people who are using some dope 
it solves nothing. Like eliminating the suppliers and everything like that, which once again, I don't, I don't agree. I don't believe in this type of drug policy or anything, but just taking a look at the current existing policy, it's completely ineffective going after individuals. You have to go after the manufacturers and the supply networks and that type of thing. If you want to make a difference, which with drugs, I don't believe any of the drug war policy. I'm just using it as an analogy. So understand that. So anyway, yeah, I use Amazon. Is it wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. But there's a lot of stuff that I may want or need that I literally can't get anywhere else. And so I have no other option. But if we, you know, so it's like, should I feel guilty about that? Or should I be pissed off at Amazon and the government for not nationalizing doing things? You know, feeling guilty for those things, you know, it, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't solve the problem. It allows the problem to continue to exist. I want to see national, I want to see Amazon nationalized. I want to see it merge with the United States Postal Service. You know, give the billionaires, give them a trophy. You won capitalism. Congratulations. You know, maybe make a little mausoleum, not a mausoleum, yeah, for their for their bodies or something. No, um, you know, make us make a little like a little museum or something of just the the museum of capitalism. And you know, they get a picture in there with the medal, and then future generations can go in there and be like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, like this dude made something, um, and now it's a it's a public good, it's a public utility. That's what we need nationalize the stuff you know here in california we got these wildfires all the time and you know like everything is contracted out like the substations and everything and it's like these high you know these these electrical lines running through the wilderness these high tension lines also they're sparking because they're in disrepair and they're causing forest fires and you know a lot of this stuff is is outsource like part of new of neoliberalism is you know continually keep subcontracting skim money off the top continually keep subcontracting and so it's like there's no profit in going in at the end of the day to replace all of these lines and everything and we got the insurance so if there's a fire like it'll cover it and then people's houses burn down people die nationalize all public utilities like there shouldn't be private ownership over the things that we all use and depend upon you know like I, I i'm a world war ii history type person and you know a big issue with the invasion of barbarossa going into the soviet union a big problem was the nazis didn't realize that the the, the width the gauge of the steel on the railroads going into Germany was a different gauge. And so they found out the, they just found out like, Oh shit, we started this invasion and our, 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 our trains can't deliver supplies into the Soviet union because they don't have the right. They don't fit the rails correctly. Okay. So we need to take all of these things into account that when things are privately owned, we don't have democratic control over them, nor are we, nor is it profitable, profitable to work to prevent these problems. So the whole, you know, the railroad thing was a representation of, we don't have democratic control of Pacific Gas and Electric. We don't have dem democratic control of PG&E, whatever your utility companies are. And that's a problem because our house is burned down because of them not not spending money and time on replacing the entire system okay so we need foresight and the only way we're going to have foresight and be able to 
stop problems before they happen instead of just trying to solve them after or not solve them, but just trying to treat the symptoms, which is pretty much all we do. We need democratic control. We need a socialist type, a democratically controlled socialist type economy. So that way, it doesn't matter if it's profitable or if it's going to cost a ton of money to replace the entire electrical grid in California because it's going to benefit us and it's going to prevent forest fires and it's going to save lives and it's going to save billions of dollars and it's going to protect absolutely amazing, beautiful parts of this country. So, you know, that's just part of capitalism. And so deregulation has been going on and now the Republicans are getting bit in the ass because they've always supported that. They're getting bit in the ass now because they realize like, oh no, like this corporation, Twitter, like they have control over us. What do we do now? Meanwhile, all of us who have opposed, you know, corporate personhood and corporation control um, of this country and, and that whole shift, um, we're like, yeah, I'm glad you finally see it. You probably aren't going to see it, right? And you're probably going to do the right thing about it. But yeah, like this is a problem. I'm I'm glad you recognize it, that there's a problem that Twitter has more power in, in the idea of regulating speech now than the United States government. So we got to nationalize it. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but we need to move to a place where we have democratic control and ownership over it. Let's, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, but something needs done and i see that the free speech thing and twitter being bigger and more powerful than the government in regards to free speech i see that as different that is a separate thing from trump getting his ass kicked off twitter he violated the unspoken agreement and duties of his job by being an asshole and tweeting a bunch of insensitive annoying crybaby shit endlessly and instigating riots racism and fanning flames that he's lit yeah Kick him off Twitter. He's not the president anymore. He shouldn't have been the president. Um, I mean, he won the election. He's the president. But once again, like, it's not surprising that somebody like him, like, we see this, like, capitalism breaking down. The middle class gets pissed. They start thinking, like, oh, I don't want to slip further. I don't want to slip into the low class, but things are getting hard. I want to get rich, but I can't get rich. You know, I'm I'm sinking. And that's, you know, the 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 power fascist movements usually derives from the middle class, the petite bourgeoisie, the shopkeepers, you know, people that are making 50 grand or more a year, maybe between 50 to hundred grand a year, depending on the part of the country you're living in, you know, small business owners, um, people with kind of, uh, super technical skills that, that are, de- are, are used to a standard of living that we should all share basically, but we don't, um, because we allow certain people to just extract all the wealth from society and live completely um, extravagantly while some of us just get to live in this material comfort and existence. And then the vast majority of us struggle and they can't pay bills. You know, there was, you know, some crazy statistic of Americans, um, just didn't have like, didn't have a few hundred bucks in the bank, you know, uh, you know, to, to help them if there was an emergency or something, you know, that's, that was me a lot. It, it, points in my life because, you know, I grew up extremely poor and I just traveled. I was a traveler kid and that type of thing. So I get it. Um, but we need to reign in control and power over these corporations. We must regulate media. We must break up these conglomerations. Elizabeth Warren, you know, she exists. She, she is who she is. Um, that's something that she advocates for and stuff. So hopefully 
best case scenario, unlikely case scenario, maybe some progress can be made in that direction. Um, as long as, you know, we continue to have the government that we do. Um, but nevertheless, I, I, I want to just address, um, something, and this has gone way longer. This talk <laughs> has gone absolutely way longer than I expected. Um, and that, that is a dude named Karl Poppers. Um, he has, he has a parrot, like he's identified or he has a theory of the paradox of free speech in a free society. Um, his name's Karl Popper. He was a sociologist. And what it amounts to is um, the question of should a free, tolerant society tolerate intolerance? Obviously, to be a free and tolerant society, you need to tolerate stuff. Okay, but where do you draw the line? And where does drawing the line not make you a free and open and tolerant society anymore? So Popper realizes that this is a paradox. Like you, you know, if you if you actually censor intolerant speech and, and movements like neo-Nazism or something, then you are not as truly as free and open as a tolerant of a society. But the 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 little the 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 answer the answer is um that if a tolerant free society allows movements and speech to spread that are intolerant then those views and those beliefs from the intolerant side will inevitably continue to grow to a point where they will get rid of all tolerance altogether. Um, so basically, you know, it's like kind of, you know, it's a paradox of how, how free and open are we going to be? Do we tolerate, you know, hateful speech, you know, neo-Nazi speech, stuff like that, that wants to get rid of free speech? Because if we tolerate it too much and we're too free and open, then that will inevitably lead to a direct threat of of overthrowing the free and tolerant society and remaking it one that is intolerant. And so that, that's Carl, that is the absolute, absolute worst explanation. Uh, you know, sorry, it's late. I did a, another a long podcast earlier. I'm kind of fading. Um, but that, yeah, that's the worst explanation of Carl Popper's, um, you know, paradox of, of free speech and tolerance, um, in society. You know, if actually, if you, you know, if you just ask Jeeves, um, you know, you type in his name, whatever, whatever search engine, there's, you know, there's all kinds of cool little infographics actually that I've seen that kind of lay out the case, like, and you should get those and you should send them to people because this is something we need to know where it's like, there is no perfect or right answer in alignment with having a free and open society, but we cannot allow speech that is completely intolerant and set to overthrow and get rid of and replace tolerance with intolerance. We cannot allow that to be disseminated and prosper. And so that is the answer, and that's what you have to say to people. Like, look, there's no answer, but we have to draw a line because the alternative will destroy the tolerance that we have. So, yeah, check it out. Dig into it. Really fascinating, interesting stuff. Um, and, you know, free speech, once again, we're going into a new century that looks completely different than, you know, 
the 1700s when the constitution and the declaration of independence and the bill of rights and all that stuff was theorized and written so i i don't understand people that are just like oh yeah i'm a strict constitutionalist like whatever's in the constitution it's the word of of the myth mythology god founding fathers it's just so dumb it's like nah like dialectics here like what works what doesn't work you adapt and you change stuff so like people that are just stuck on this you know and it's on the left too like there's there's a lot of you know tankies and stuff out there they're like this is the infallible word of and it's like i don't know like how can we make things better what worked what didn't work you know let's shift it like if you're really down for changing the world and you're really down for these ideas it's less about you know adherence to strict dogma rather than how do we make it work how do we make it work well and for everybody? Like, that's what you got to be down for. Like, if, you know, if you just use, if you just derive your identity from a political movement and you're just super protective over it and aren't open to dialectical analysis and stuff like that, it's like, you know, it's, it's your identity. For me, I'm another, uh, kind of the opposite. It's like, I, I care less about identifying as anything in my identity and more about how do we make this world better? How do we implement all of, you know, all of the things that we need to do in the world and and get rid of capitalism progress beyond capitalism evolve past the capitalist stage um and i'm open to stuff and i'm very open and honest to analyzing um and and exploring these things and new ideas and everything and i think we all need to be so anyway free speech you know the whole idea of free speech like we're in a place now where everybody has a microphone you know look at me like i'm just some guy i'm just some dude literally that just started making a bunch of book covers um kind of as a joke for a friend based off of a different project i was doing um when i was making a, a fake book cover for a, a comedy series that I'm, I'm working to pitch and i was like yeah this is kind of fun i like that and so i you know this is what came of it. Now I'm, I'm making podcast and video cause I'm a filmmaker and I want to kind of expand beyond it. Um, but nevertheless, like I have a microphone now. There's a lot of you that probably agree with what I say. There's a lot of you that may just like chilling with me because literally I'm offering, you know, podcasts are about companionship. That's what it comes down to. So like you got me playing, you got the show playing while you're cooking dinner or something or, or doing the laundry. Um, some of you may think I'm a dumbass and hate everything I have to say. Like that's your interpretation. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, but there's a lot of people that have, I, I don't believe that I am causing any harm to society because I'm not like you know, I'm not saying like we need to go kill politicians because, you know, they're raping babies and stuff like that and drinking adrenochrome and all that bullshit. Um, those people are creating harm in society and, and they have a platform and this stuff has spread and, and a lot of them, you know, Q shaman guy are storming the Capitol and stuff like it's wild. It's a problem that we have to address and we have to understand like, you know, maybe it's not so much about free speech, but maybe the issue is about, how much does this speech harm society? And it's a double-edged sword. Like I am not for any, anything that comes out of this, like in, in regards to, do these people like, do we pass all, you know, they're going to want to pass another Patriot Act. And I'm against that because anything and any laws that they implement to go after these, you know, right wing nut jobs and shit, that's going to be used exponentially more on the left and us and censoring us and everything. So, you know, 
I'm not really for crazy changes to the law and all that stuff in regards to that. And to be honest, like, yeah, a lot of those people were fucking assholes. And a lot of those people, you know, were there to kill politicians and everything. Um, but the majority of them, you know, a lot of you probably been in protests. Like, I don't know. It's like, okay, this shit's open. This is where we're going. We're going and we're going here. You know, a lot of those people, you know, <laughs> the main people that did, you know, the breaking in the most violent, but there's a lot of people that just walked in just like, Oh shit, we can go in the Capitol building now. You know, I, this, and I am, I am ideologically and politically opposed to those people, but I'm able to take an objective look at how we interact with the state and the problems in handling the situation. Don't be snitching. Like, any, I don't know, like, if there's any liberals, I'm sure the liberals are the ones to do, if there's some leftists out there, it's like, yeah, you might see somebody you know, but are you really going to call an alphabet agency and snitch on this person? That sets a bad precedent. We can't expect the FBI and the alphabet agencies to start using the public to be, you know, their eyes on the ground and to spy for them. Everybody has a cell phone nowadays, and so anything that happens, people are going to record. And if those people then start handing over everything to the government because they're ordered to or it's like a new law or something, that's bad. That is absolutely horrible and dangerous for those of us on the left and protesting and, and protesters and everything. Like that, that is a step towards totalitarianism, which is the problem and something that we need to avoid. So we got to avoid the police state. So don't snitch on people that were at the Capitol if you know them. Yeah, dox them, you know, call them out, do what you need to do, but you don't evolve, you don't evolve the authority, the authorities in quotations. You don't involve the alphabet agencies and the repression of the state. That's not how we should be playing this game. I don't know. Maybe you have a different opinion. You know, like I'm open to it. Like, you know, if, you know, Hitler even said, like, if we'd gotten our ass kicked enough back in the streets and everything, um, and the government wasn't so nice to us, like maybe we wouldn't come into power and started getting into parliament and stuff post, post, uh, beer hall putsch. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I do see, you know, I hear of the snitching and I'm just like, uh, I don't know, not down for it. Don't like it um, because it just can't be the norm. Like that literally, you know, all these people that have no understanding of, you know, communism or anything in America that like, you know, uh, just the average American that's been brainwashed and stuff, they think like, oh yeah, in a communist totalitarian society, everybody is, you know, the eyes and ears of the state and they're spying on you and you can't criticize and say things. And, and that literally is what, like, you know, if you're snitching on right-wingers, you know, that that is, you are participating in in what is going to start leading to repression and that type of thing. And that's a problem. Like people don't realize like in America, we're so brainwashed. They, they think, oh, oh yeah. Totalitarianism is only, you know, leftist communist party run countries, you know, and that's not true at all. Like totalitarianism isn't an ideology. It's not an ideology at all. In fact, it's just a way of governing in, in a, a methodology and a structuring of, of how to, how to government or I'm sorry, how to govern. So we, ha we have that in America, like capitalist countries 
in a lot of ways can be just as repressive and totalitarian as, you know, the ones that in the United States were brainwashed to just continually that are continually demonized and everything. Um, so you kind of get what I'm, what I'm going at. Let me know what your thoughts are on this. You know, I'm open to it. Um, believe it or not, <laughs> uh, believe it or not, I knew an individual, um, I, I don't want, I don't want to get into it. And when I say no, like I, I literally like encountered him once or twice at a party. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And he was an asshole. Basically he was a friend of a friend. And, uh, at one point he got kicked out for just being just a big asshole. And I think he threw a bottle or something against the house. <laughs> Nevertheless, this guy, you know, fast forward a bunch of years when I haven't heard or seen from this guy at all, because he wasn't even in my circle. He just happened to be at whatever, a party and have a reputation. <laughs> this guy is in the Capitol building, you know, and there he is. He's like, you know, he's smoking a joint and, and it's like, uh, I don't know, dude, like I wouldn't rat on you. Like, I'm not going to rat on any of those people. Like that's wrong. We shouldn't rat on people. Let's handle stuff on the street level. Let's handle stuff. You're doxing, you know, do what you have to do, but don't involve the authorities because authorities are going to just come for you. Once the right is crushed, which it's not going to be because, you know, Brian said in the last episode, counter revolutions get the kid gloves, the real revolution, the real revolutionaries, those of us on the left with ideas that challenge the dominant capitalist paradigm, that all of that stuff is going to just come back and be used against us. So we got to resist it. You know, yeah, like I would love to see a lot of these people, you know, whatever. But then again, what, you know, am I, you know, are they, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to me, you know? And yeah, there was a little bit of a slippery, slippery slope into that, but it's, you know, it's noticing trends and noticing gateways that you're moving through that lead to a particular place, um, which I don't want to be headed. Basically, I'm going to end this with just talking about responsibility. I think the thing that is just the most emblematic of the stupidity and pathetic nature of the Republican Party who champions responsibility and personal responsibility, which is a complete hoax and fraud and misunderstanding about what responsibility is, they kind of divert all of the blame for the Capitol riots and that on the individuals, which of course they would, but they take no responsibility themselves. It's a problem with Republicans and the Republican Party. They continually defer responsibility elsewhere. Oh, okay. We have a structural system that leads to poverty and all of these societal problems. Well, we don't want to address it because capitalism is working for us. And that's a, you know, that is a symptom of capitalism. It's an externality. It's going to happen. It's inherent. Capitalism has contradictions. We're not going to fix it. Instead, we're going to spin it and make it about personal responsibility. People were poor because they didn't work hard enough. People are drug addicts because they have moral failings. You know, and it's just like, no, there's true systemic stuff that needs fixed and worked on and changed in our society if we are going to continue to exist as a unified United States and not break into, you know, whatever the hell is next, whatever's coming. Um, so, yeah, Republicans, it's no surprise, always picking and choosing what works for them. And there's zero integrity, uh, just just zero integrity. You know, I was saying that I don't want to see individuals being snitched on and everything by, you know, by 
just random people because that sets a dangerous precedent. But I want, I'm in favor of seeing the lawmakers, you know, help being held accountable for sowing all this disinformation. Like you literally have radicalized these people based upon something that you know is a lie for your own political gain in future. Go to jail. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, there's a lot of, I, I have problems with prisons and our, you know, prison complex and everything, which I'll do. I'll talk about in a different episode. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not even an advocate maybe of throwing people in jail, but there has to be repercussions. Take away their little Senator badge or whatever. Just boot them from office um, for violation of the expected code and conduct of fulfilling that role. Yeah, I don't know. We need a new system. Doing any of that stuff, booting Ted Cruz from office isn't going to really change anything. We need true systemic change reform and a new democratic economy. And everything else is kind of a charade that is just happening and leading further and further into a dystopia. But we have the power to change that. And we are going to do that. So anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for letting, for listening to, uh, you know, over an hour of me ranting about, you know, the free speech thing and, and being a roadie and just everything I got into. Yeah. This was supposed to be like a little five or 10 minute bit, but, uh, it went long. So anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, subscribe, follow me on, on Facebook, uh, not Facebook. I don't even use Facebook. Uh, follow me on Instagram. Um, you know, I'm doing book covers all the time. Uh, sometimes I take little breaks when I'm really involved in working on the podcast stuff. Right now I've been expanding, you know, pages against the machine into against the machine podcast with video. If you're watching this, you get that, you know, all the intro bits that I created, the openers, the tags at the end, you know, all of this stuff, like it takes a lot of time and you know, I'm doing it. Like I'm just seeing how far I can take this, uh, because it's fun. And it, it provides an outlet for me to connect with other people and to hopefully make, you know, make some sense of the world to you or challenge your ideas and thoughts, give you insight or just get you really pissed off at me and my beliefs. So anyway, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see each other soon. Peace.